I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The passive revolution. Can investors expect a price war to erupt on investment platforms now Vanguard has entered the UK market? As we edge closer to the general election, John Ralph asks how much are MPs really paid? And are you prepared for a future stock market crash? Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. Vanguard shook up the UK investment market this week by announcing a new direct-to-consumer platform for its range of passive funds, undercutting the charges on other platforms for DIY investors. I'm joined by FT Money's Amy Williams, who's been following the story. Welcome, Amy. Hello. So, for the benefit of those who don't know, what is Vanguard? Vanguard is the world's second biggest fund manager and they're famous for offering investors a range of very low-cost funds. So that's something they really focus on. They mostly offer passive funds, Mm -hmm. which FT Money readers will know are funds which track an index. They do offer active funds as well, which are lower cost than most of their rivals, but it's not their main focus. Uh, And the other thing to say is that they're American. They're based in the US. So what has happened this week to get everybody so excited? Well, Vanguard has been saying, or rather threatening, for a while to come over to the UK and start selling its funds directly to UK investors. Now, UK investors have been able to buy Vanguard funds for quite a long time. But they've normally had to go through other online fund platforms like Harcrease Lansdowne, which is the UK's most popular fund platform. Vanguard, however, have come in and swept Hargreaves aside and said, we're going to sell our funds directly to UK investors for a lower price. Well, sounds good, but this has certainly put a dent in the share price of Hargreaves Lansdowne on Tuesday. So you'd anticipate that this could be good for consumers because other platforms might start dropping their charges to compete. Or will they? Well, they might very well do that. But, um, I mean, it's a little unfair to pick on Hargreaves. And um, they have been focused on because they are the biggest uh, fund supermarket in the UK at the moment. And they are beloved uh, by UK investors. Um, But it's important to remember that they're not currently the cheapest anyway. Um, And also that if you wanted to buy Vanguard funds 
you could in Britain already. So Hargreaves could lower their costs, but they would say that they're offering something different to, to what Vanguard's offering anyway. So on Vanguard's platform, you can only buy Vanguard funds, whilst Hargreaves offers investors the chance to buy stocks and shares, uh, put them in a SIP, put them in an ISA. And also, obviously, it offers investors a access to around 2,500 other funds from all sorts of different fund managers. Um, so if you want to build your own portfolio and invest in lots of different kinds of funds, Hargreaves is probably still where you'll go. So they may not be in a rush to cut their costs, cut their price. Certainly. And um, other you know, comparable platforms could include Fidelity, AJ Bell, um, Tilney Best Invest, I mean, Barclays. Barclays Stockbrokers. You know, there are lots and lots of these businesses in the UK. It's been a growing area. I mean, Hargreaves itself has been one of the highest risers on the FTSE 100 in the last mm. couple of years. Yep. So the era of DIY investment, if you like, through pensions, freedoms, um, defined contributions, pensions, yep. people having SIPs, this is what's powering that growth in the market. So Vanguard really is seeing this as a big growth opportunity potentially. They are seeing it as a big growth opportunity and um, analysts, uh, one analyst from Librem yesterday gave me the estimate of that Vanguard would get £5 billion of inflows in the next three years. Still a bit behind Hargreaves but it is obviously quite big but yeah I mean still Vanguard aren't going to offer everything Hargreaves offer. Um, One thing that um, they won't offer for younger investors is the lifetime ISIS or see that's something that Hargreaves have an edge on them over. But they are planning at some point to offer a low cost SIP. They are. That's true, although they haven't quite said when. And they can and they do offer a, a stocks and shares ISA at the moment for, as we've said, a much lower cost than Hargreaves. Well, well, we're interested to hear more as this story develops. Thanks very much there to the FT's Amy Williams. You can read her story all about Vanguard on ft.com slash money now. And I'll be writing more in FT Money this weekend about the difficulties of transferring stocks and shares ISAs. Podcast listeners may well be trembling at the prospect of higher taxes, depending on the outcome of the UK general election next month. The major parties have all been setting out their policies this week, and regardless of who wins, we may expect higher earners to be squeezed. But one group who seem to have avoided a squeeze on their own earnings and pensions are the MPs themselves. John Ralph, the independent pensions consultant, has been investigating just how valuable MPs' pensions really are, and he joins me now in the studio to discuss. Welcome, John. Thank you very much, Claire. Like many public sector workers, if you're an MP, you'll be entitled to a final salary pension. But the MP's final salary scheme is especially generous. Explain. Well, that's entirely, that's absolutely right, Claire. It's worth just stepping back and saying that most of the listeners may not know what a defined benefit or a final salary pension is at all, because the likelihood of them having one is vanishingly small. So-called defined benefit pensions, which pay out an amount for life, depending on how long you've worked with the company and what your salary is, pretty much dead in the private sector. Mm. However, they're alive and kicking in the public sector. So whether you're you know, a nurse or a teacher in the civil service or the armed forces, you're eligible to join a quite generous defined benefit pension scheme. And as far as MPs are concerned, they used to have when they fixed their own pay and their own pensions, they used to have a super, super generous pension arrangement. That's changed recently, you know, in the last, last couple of years. So it's slightly less generous. I think the important thing to say about why have defined benefit pensions declined in the private sector and why are they still going in the public sector? My answer is that in the private sector, companies have had to show the costs of the annual costs of the new pension promises properly 
and in the public sector they haven't. So in the public mm. sector, it's very, very easy to pretend that the pensions that are being granted cost less than they actually do, and what you're doing is kicking the can down the road, and that will be paid for by our children and grandchildren, possibly possibly some of the younger younger listeners. Sure. So get back to the MPs. Why are you singling out the MPs? Let's get back to the MPs. Singling out the MPs because even if you compare them with other people in the public sector, teachers, for example, their pensions are pretty generous. The cost is higher than the official cost by quite a margin. So MPs, just to give you a few figures, MPs get a salary of £76,000 and the official cost of their pension, so in other words the cost of the pension perk, is £9,000. So that's a total pay and package of pensions of £85,000. The real cost of their pension, if you calculate it in the way that you would do if they were a private sector company, in other words properly, mm. that's about £24,000. So a bog standard MP, we're not talking about ministers, we're not talking about leader of opposition, they, also get more. Yeah. they get more. The bog standard MP gets a total pay and pensions of just over £100,000. And that's a lot more than other public servants, as you say, like teachers, doctors, civil servants. So, you know, why should it bother us? They do have such generous schemes. Well, apart from the idea of, you know, wanting to throw mud at MPs, which some people do, but I don't necessarily, I think it's an issue of transparency. Mm. I think it's an issue of saying, OK, how much do MPs get paid? How much do they get as pensions? How much does they get by way of expenses? Which was obviously, you know, a big scandal going back a few years. And what I would like to see is greater transparency in the pension costs for MPs and the pension costs for all public sector employees. And as far as MPs are concerned, it's worth pointing out, and if you like, it wasn't my idea, but I think it is a good idea, that there is a school of thought, and there's at least one minister, Harriet Baldwin, who suggested this a few years back, that having a gold-plated, inflation-linked, defined benefit pension means that MPs are insulated from pension worries. Hmm. They don't really, therefore, understand what their constituents are worrying about. Will they be able to save enough for a, you know, a half-decent pension when they Will retire? Will they run out of money? Will they run out of money in, in retirement? So what I would like to see, two things. First of all, I'd like to see transparency, the proper cost of the existing pension being recognised. And then the second stage is to say, look, MPs, if you like, should set a, almost setting a good example in order to understand the pension worries of their constituents, they should be moved on to a defined contribution pension. Uh, the taxpayer's contribution can be the official contribution that we have at the moment, which is quite generous, but that would help them to understand the pension problems of their constituents. Well, thanks very much there to John Ralph. You can read his column now online at ft.com money and this weekend too in the FT Money section. Finally, with the FTSE 100 reaching yet another record high this week, investor listeners could be forgiven for feeling a touch of vertigo. Looking back at the past stock market performance tells us that what goes up surely must come down. The tricky part, of course, is correctly guessing when. Joining me in the studio to discuss how investors should prepare is our wealth man columnist, Jason Butler. He's written all about it in his FT Money column this week. Welcome, Jason. Hello. So you start off your column this week by telling us how back in 2009 you were making plans for Nigel. Yes, uh, Nigel, which is not his real name, very, very senior executive in a quoted company, so highly intelligent, very, very well-read, was in a bit of a pickle because... In about March 2009, the UK stock market, as many world stock markets had at that stage, fallen nearly 50%. 
And he was in a really, really bad place emotionally, and he felt that the world was going to hell in a handcart, and that basically he had to he had to divest of his investments and move it all into cash and wait until things became a bit more stable. And he really couldn't see that that market was ever going to come back again. So he was really, you know, the the glass was definitely half full for him. In fact, I don't think there was anything in the glass. <laughs> and essentially, that illustrated an, a completely irrational approach to investing because he didn't need the money; he had enough cash. He had a very long time horizon and he had a proper plan. And so therefore I had to walk him through the key issues and get him to think rationally as opposed to emotionally. So yes, it's unpleasant when stock market crashes happen and they happen with a lot more frequency than people realise. They're always unexpected, okay? Mm -hmm. And we're all wise with hindsight after the event. The, the issue is how you navigate and what you do or don't do will determine your long-term financial success. So experts call this phenomenon the behaviour gap, warning that the emotions we feel when markets crash can actually lead us to make decisions that could be more costly to us in the future. Yes, the behaviour gap is an interesting one. So there's been lots and lots of studies that show that the outcomes that investors have from either markets or funds or the aggregate of investment funds is, a, is significantly less sometimes than the actual returns from those asset classes. And that's because we have this tendency to invest when things are looking great and divest when things aren't looking so great. So people buy when things are looking rising and they sell often when things are falling. Well, what we really should be doing is buying what's falling and possibly selling off what's rising. But the reality is, is that no one knows when these things are going to happen. And the reality is we're investing in the context of very long time horizons, often 30 to 60 years, in which case short-term dips, if we sort of try and second-guess the market, can end up meaning that we are missing out on the returns that are there for the taking purely because we are doing the wrong things at the wrong times because we don't like the thought of losing money. Well, Nigel was tempted to cash out after the worst had happened, but with markets at record highs, as we've heard, plenty of readers surely will be tempted to cash out now. Why shouldn't they? Well, you should cash out now if you're likely to need that piece of money, if you're needed to spend that amount of money sometime in the next two to three years. Mm. But you should stay invested, if, assuming you have a proper diversified portfolio, if your time horizon is much, much longer than that, 20, 30, 40 years. Because the danger is when you make a decision to divest purely for tactical reasons, because you think the market's overvalued or going to crash, you've then got to make a decision when to come back into the market. So you actually increase risk, you don't reduce risk. And it's the time in the market, if you just miss the four or five best days in a year, can make a massive difference. In some cases, up to 4% per annum in the long run, your, your actual uh, the long-term returns. So, you know, there's no one wiser than all of us. And at the end of the day, if your time horizon's long, stay the course. Well, thanks very much there to Jason Butler, FT Money's Wealth Man columnist. You can read his article online now at ft.com slash money. Finally, an apology. If I haven't sounded my sparkling best this morning doing your podcast, that's because FT Money was lucky enough to win two fantastic awards at the Headline Money Awards last night. Josephine Cumbo, who you all know, our award-winning, multi-award winning now pensions correspondent, was awarded Pensions Correspondent of the Year, and I was awarded Financial Commentator of the Year for my Serious Money column. Thank you so much to all of the readers and judges who put forward nominations for both of us. We really appreciate it. In the meantime, if you've got a story that you'd like us to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch. Our email address is money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash guesswhatmoney. We'll be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye.
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.